The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the third chapter. And again a crowd gathered, so that they were not even able to eat a meal. And when his family heard this, they went out to take charge of him. For people were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He has Beelzebul in him, and by the prince of demons he drives out demons. So he called them together and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rises against him and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter the house of the strong man and carry off his possessions unless first he ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all things will be forgiven, the sons of men, all sinful behavior and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not have forgiveness for all time, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because he said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him, calling for him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And he responded to them, saying, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And looking around at those who were sitting around him in a circle, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, this one is my brother and my sister and my mother. The Gospel of the Lord. Some people have a gift or a skill or well-practiced muscle for managing conflict, who step right in and through it, and somehow, throughout it all, hold people together. Like it's rare to witness in our lives together, especially now, especially when so much on Facebook seems to inflame one side over the other. So I keep coming back to a moment in a class when someone spoke up to a large group with a controversial statement. I can't even quite remember the words, but it was something so theologically provocative and offensive that there was a collective tightening and people were sucking in breath behind their teeth. Someone even said, that is everything that is wrong with the church. And instead, of defending or going on the offense, the facilitator, who was from Northern Ireland, literally stepped forward towards this person and began engaging. He didn't have a previous relationship with this person, and I don't even think he knew their name, but he said, I am committed to this room, and I am committed to this conversation. I come back to this moment when I think about entering conflict, because for me, it was so powerful to witness someone engage in a conversation out of a statement that for me and many in the room shut down a thread of conversation and severed a connection, not just between the facilitator and participant, but in the group as a whole. It stands out in my mind because there have been so many other moments when someone just pummels it right back at you. And through gift or skill or well-practiced muscle for conflict, this person stepped forward towards the possibility of renewed relationship, not just between himself and the man, but between all of us in the room. 
And I stand here today with gratitude for this facilitator and also for Mark Gravrock, who took us on a journey through the gospel of Mark through the lens of anti-racism and for Padraig Otuama, who imagined the spirituality of conflict in the context of Northern Ireland. These people help me read scripture with eyes that see the conflicted nature of the world in which Jesus lived and how people navigated their routes through it. This lens of scripture helps me learn about how you shape conflict and how it can shape you. In the gospel stories, sometimes Jesus resists conflict and mediates and even de-escalates it. But also, Jesus can escalate conflict and the result is life-giving and energizing. It's a way of seeing conflict that isn't a failure, but a process of transformation. So in today's gospel, we're entering a very conflicted world in the gospel of Mark in pursuit of the possibility of God's transformation and goodness in and through the life of Jesus. And I wanna take time to frame the entire gospel of Mark for us, knowing that we live in these stories for quite some time. The gospel of Mark begins with a proclamation in the wilderness and a baptismal moment when the heavens rip apart and the spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus. And in the end, that isn't really an ending. Jesus utters a loud cry on the cross and breathes his last breath. The curtains of the temple are torn in two from top to bottom and the resurrected life ascends upon the world. In his first words in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Already it's happening. The kingdom of God is breaking upon us, breaking open the possibility of God's shalom, of God's peace among us, in and through conflict, in and through God's goodness emerging in this world, we drop into the story in the third chapter of Mark, catching up mid-sentence, and the crowd came together so that they could not even eat. I know we can imagine, if not quite yet experience, a crowd swelling to proportions that would crush even the most gracious host, that would outpace even the most extroverted person. And in the middle of this mass of people, Jesus's family shows up to restrain him or to curb or rein or maybe even to protect him. He's doing something that they recognize as dangerous and there's family tension. Then the scribes show up who come down from Jerusalem to come down on Jesus, who claim he is in cahoots with the devil. They come from the religious center of power, cracking down on whatever religious power that threatens their own. In the middle of this story, there are the parables the piece of the Markin sandwich and the heart of which we will return. To the crowd then, Jesus promises people will be forgiven for their sins, up until the point where religious authorities claim he works by the power of the prince of the demons, who claim that his power is anything but the power of the divine. These people cast him out of relationship by saying he has an unclean spirit, akin to saying he is working with the prince of the demons. And there's an interesting piece of this story where Jesus' family arrives and they send and call to him from outside the house. Insider and outsider are flipped. And Jesus inverts the people closest to him, the people in which he belongs to and who belong to him. He answers their beckon, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? 
by looking at around those who sat around him, who are physically close to him and his circle and claims them as his family. So I hear three places of deep conflict in the text, beginning with the family trying to protect and reign in Jesus and ending with Jesus opening up family and belonging to everyone gathered there. Then there's a layer of conflict with the religious power holders who come down from the religious center of the temple against the person who gathers people from many places, who centers them from the margins, and then who claims power of the Holy Spirit moving in this world. And I hear the third place of deep conflict in the parable itself. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man, then indeed the house can be plundered. I am indebted to Mark Gravrock's Bible study for cracking open the possibilities of this piece of the parable, for cracking open the possibilities in the Gospel of Mark. Some of us read this as a metaphor for the religious authorities attempting to tie up the strong man Jesus or his family trying to rein him in. And in the beauty of scripture, some read this as a moment where Jesus is breaking in as a robber where he ties up the powers that attempt to limit the goodness of God in the world and plunders the house for the sake of the good news. I see the possibility of conflict really being able to shake up the things that do not bring life, that bind us up in ways of seeing and relating to one another that harm people and creation. Even within our own scriptures today, it's almost impossible to hear the Genesis story of Adam and Eve and the apple and the snake without also feeling the weight of the history of interpretation of this text that makes women less than men, as if there's a binary of genders to begin with. I like the idea of Jesus tying up the ways we have harmed people by putting God in a box with patriarchal interpretation and plundering the house from that harm. I also think about the ways that people have used the Bible to justify casting people out of relationship, especially the harm the church has caused to LGBTQ people. I imagine Jesus breaking into the strong man's house to tie up any interpretation that would say you are anything but a beloved child of God and plunder the preciousness of relationship from anyone who claims otherwise. And as the powers of this world distort the goodness of God, I can't help but think that we also may be the ones who contribute to the tying up of the goodness of God, the goodness that God gives to all of us, not just in our interpretation of scripture, but in our lives together. I come back to the very first words, the kingdom of God has come near. I trust that it is breaking open among us, like we break bread in communion and share the body of Christ, blessed and broken and given for you. God shalom torn apart and broken open for you. And I trust too, the kingdom of God has already come near and is breaking open among us. That God's presence through Jesus has already begun the transformation to release that bonds that keep us from God's goodness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we too may enter the conflict for the good trouble of the gospel. And with that, we witness the inbreaking of God's good news among us. Thanks be to God.